listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. And you can open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 6. We're going to focus on verses 12 through 23, but we'll read the whole chapter together. If you will go ahead and stand once you get there. And if you don't have a Bible, you can lift up your hand and uh, we'll get one to you. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection." Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who's died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness uh, and lawlessness, leading to more uh, lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. For when you were slaves of sin, You are free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we get uh, to this chapter and and finish this chapter uh, that just continues the explanation of the gospel and even as a defense to the gospel of grace, 
It's, it's such a, a deep chapter. It's such a such a, a, a scholarly chapter in reasoning why we are free from sin and how this problem of sin in our life has been dealt with at the cross and can be dealt with by the power of the Spirit moment by moment, Lord. Lord, as this is quite a paradox within the church that we can be dead to sin and free to sin and slaves to God and yet still struggle with uh, our old nature on a daily basis. Lord, we pray that you'd open our minds to understand the paradox. And Lord, give us a, a heart that would yield to the victory that's available in Jesus. Let it be your spirit today that preaches to the people and teaches the people and uh, glorify your great name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Paul has been, you can be seated. Uh, Paul has been uh, proclaiming and heralding this great gospel of grace in that uh, every one of us is a sinner, uh, fallen short of the glory of God, whether you're the blatant pagan and, uh, or the self-righteous religious person. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it's not by works of righteousness that we do that save us, nor is it the keeping of the law of Moses that saves us and makes us right or innocent before God, but it's rather apart from the deeds of the flesh, and it's actually apart from works of the law that we are saved, that we are declared righteous, or a, a biblical word for this would be that we are justified in the presence of the Lord, that de declaration of our innocence. And so we've been taught that throughout the book so far, uh, chapter 5 ending with that, you know, we have this inherent sin nature because of our great-great-great-grandfather Adam, who was our federal representative, uh, who sinned and blew it, therefore inherently we all have sinned and blown it. Uh, we've also chosen and imputed sin to our account and sinned and blown it as well. So we're doubly condemned as being sinners who've fallen short of God's glory. But the good news is, just as through one man sin entered the world, and thus death through sin, so through one man, another federal representative, Jesus, a son of Adam, uh, he came onto the earth, fully God and fully man, and he lived a perfect sinless life. And if we would, by faith, place him as our federal head, his righteousness, his sinlessness, his perfect life, his death that he didn't deserve to die, and his glorious resurrection will all become ours through faith. His history becomes our history through faith, through belief, through resting in what he's done. And in explaining that, in explaining that through Adam, this great sin and death came upon the world, in verse 20 of chapter 5, Paul says, where there was this great abounding sin, there was great abounding grace. And the language actually says there in verse 20, grace super abounded on our account. Well, as you hear this message of grace, and as you hear this message of, you know, it's not about our works, and it's not about fulfilling the law of Moses that we're saved, it would cause us to say, well, great then. If by my sin, there's a whole lot of grace, then I'm just going to sin my brains out so that tons and tons of grace can be lavished upon me. And, you know, that is just a complete 
lie from the enemy upon us. And Paul's reaction to that in chapter 6, verse 1, you know, should we continue to sin so that grace would abound? His reaction is, certainly not, exclamation point. Or perish the thought. Or as one translation, I believe it's King James Version, says, God forbid. And I like that translation where it says that because I need to hear that and I need to say that. That's strong. God forbid that I would walk in that lie that, hey, by me just blatantly sinning, God just keeps pouring out his grace upon me. And and the true lie, like we studied last week, or even more of the lie, is that we're actually less righteous if we don't sin as much because we get less of God's grace. And you get to see the enemy trying to tarnish the beautiful gospel of justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This morning, as I was finishing up, I read through the whole chapter of Romans 6 in the Phillips translation, and it was really good. I was tempted to read through the whole uh, chapter again in the Phillips translation. So maybe as you get home, you might read through it. We'll quote a few verses from it, and, and here's verse 1 in the Phillips translation. It says, now what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. We who've died to sin, how could we live in sin a moment longer? Here in chapter 6, Paul addresses the moral incongruity to sin or the moral incompatibility to sin. He's not addressing the impossibility of sinning. A lot of people read this and they say, hey, we've died to sin. And when a dog dies on the road, he's dead. You go up and kick it. There's no movement whatsoever. And we can tend to take the metaphor or the picture of death here a bit too far uh, with, you know, a lot of metaphors in scripture so far as to say, hey, you know, I'm dead to sin. The day I served Jesus, I never sinned again. I haven't sinned in 13 years at all. And I'd like to meet you and I'd like to show you. Yeah, you have. You've sinned. I'd like to meet your wife or your husband, and they'd probably really attest to it. Not only do we have sins of commission, but we also have sins of omission. You know, the Lord's called us to do things, told us to do things. You know, our relationship within the church, you know, uh, growing in theology, things like that. And, um, you know, we just fall short even in the things that the Lord calls us to do, not only in what he says, hey, don't do this. Uh, You know, it's harmful, it's hurtful, and it uh, causes you to fall short of my glory. Now, within the church, there's this idea that because I'm in Jesus, I can do what I want, when I want, with whomever I want. Because grace will cover that. I have this license to sin. And this is a mistaken notion. Uh, it's a lie and it's a misunderstanding of what grace really is and the nature of Christian freedom. As I was praying, our freedom in Christ, it is a paradox, you know, that, that two things that seem like they both can't be true at the same time, they are true. That we're dead to sin, you know, by faith because of what Jesus has done. We died on the cross with sin. The old Rory died on the cross with sin. But the, there's a new Rory that's risen from that death, just like Jesus did. Baptism being a picture of that. And yet, how come I'm still struggling with these thoughts and these words coming out of my mouth and with this doubting and with this vanity? How come I'm still struggling with this stuff if I'm dead indeed to sin? Romans chapter 6 presents this Christian paradox. Now, 
walking in obedience uh, and not walking in sin. Uh, it's, it's something we get to do now, not something that we have to do. And this walking in obedience is not necessarily out of a fear of what God will do to me, some kind of judgment or some kind of a lightning bolt coming out of the sky and striking me dead in the face, you know. Uh, that's not why I obey. But now I obey and now I, I hate sin and want to run from sin because I fear what my sin will do to God. I fear what my sin will do to the reputation of God, to the glory of God. I fear I'll put a black mark on the name of Jesus and even upon my brothers and my sisters. It's like the kid that's being pressured by his friends to do a sinful act. And he says, no, no, I really don't want to do that. And they start to pester him and say, what are you afraid? Your daddy's going to spank you. Are you afraid you're going to get in trouble? And for this kid, he's being pestered to say, I'm not afraid of what my sin you know, uh, will get to me, but rather what my sin will do to my dad. And that's the attitude that we now have as Christians. We're motivated by love rather than by a fear of judgment. As Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is to hate all evil. It's the beginning of wisdom. Um, It's this terror, yes, but more of a terror of what will it do to my God who showed such great love to me in dying for me. Let's look at verses 3 through excuse me, 3 through 11 in Romans chapter 6. It says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we've been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Underline this word, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. If we died with Christ, underline this, we believe that we shall also live with him. And underline this word, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also, underline this word, reckon, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this gets us to fresh ground to where we'll be uh, breaking ground today. But what we studied last week, how do you deal with the issue of sin? How do you deal with the problem of sin? And last week, we majored in the understanding that it's only through a union with Christ that we can have victory over sin. Verses 3 through 11 tell us that just as we're united with Christ in this immersion of Christ, that yes, we'll have water baptism in it, but isn't based solely upon water baptism. As we come to Jesus through faith, we reckon, or excuse me, we uh, unite ourselves with Jesus with his death that he died, with his life that he lived, with his resurrection that he rose in. We unite ourselves with him. And it's only through that uniting that our old man dies and our new man rises in victory. uh, Baptism being that graphic picture of that union with Jesus, of that funeral with our old man. 
Now, our old man, and some of you are actually maybe living in your old man right now. You've never put your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and for new life in Christ. You're living in your old man right now. And some of us, we're in Christ now and we remember our old man or our old woman, the old Adamic nature that is inherent through Adam. That's been considered by John Stott to be volume one of our life. And volume one ends uh, in the picture of baptism as you go down into the waters of baptism, a symbol of your unity in the death of Jesus. Volume one ends there under the waters of baptism, or really it ends in faith when you die to the flesh. Then, just as the picture of baptism shows us, we rise out of that grave just like Christ rose to walk in newness of life, and thus begins volume two. And the verses we just read up through verse 11 tells us that it's, it's ridiculous and it's, it's horrible to think of now that we live in volume two to be longingly wishing we could go back to volume one. Oh man, just volume one just was, there was some adventure there. There was, you know, uh, pleasure there. And the Bible tells us sin indeed is pleasurable for a season, but you know what? It's a short season. Then comes death. Then comes condemnation. Then comes, as we'll read in verse 23, the wages of sin, which is death on all sorts of different levels. But it's a horrible thought to think of living in volume two, this new life in Christ, but wishing we were still back in volume one, or even worse, actually going back and living in volume one when there's this clean, bright, fresh, new volume two sitting there provided for us to walk in because of Jesus. Chapter 6 gives us some real helps to walking in this newness of life and dealing with the problem of sin. And last week we began the first part of that being comprehension. You want to deal with the sin issue in your life? Maybe you have a habitual sin that you just keep falling into. Uh, it's just a regular thing in your life and you struggle with it. You've been battling it for years. Uh, maybe there's something new that's just come up. The Lord showed you sin in your life. And, uh, you know, I think the more we walk with Jesus, the more we're going to see sin in our life and we're, we're going to be dealing with it. We're going to be confessing it, repenting of it and, and uh, walking in the freedom that Jesus provides for us. But last week we began this first step of dealing with sin and that is comprehending, comprehending the death of the old man and the new life in Christ. As those words that I kind of emphasize as we read through there, you know, uh, and had you underlined. They were words such as verse, eight, uh, verse 6, knowing that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. Verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Verse 9, knowing that Christ rose from the dead, death doesn't have dominion over him anymore. That's the same for us today. And then verse 11, likewise, reckon yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God. So there's these knowings, there's these believings, there's these reckonings or considering that the old man is dead, the new man is alive in Christ by grace, by the spirit of God. And we looked at that last week. We looked at that reckoning. It's an accounting word. And, uh, you know, it, it means to put into account and it means to, in, in a practical spiritual way, to claim the scriptures in the Bible 
for ourselves and to say, you know what? Romans chapter six says that I'm free from sin, that I'm dead to sin and that I have new life in Christ. By golly, I reckon that to my account. It's this almost weighing in the balance. You know, it's this, okay, you know, my flesh is telling me, hey, Rory, I'm here again. It's me, your old friend. Want to sin? Want to go do this? Want to go say this? Come on, you know, I, I, you know, I know you, you've got this little funk of Christianity going on right now, but don't listen to that. Think of how much pleasure we've had together. And here I am, and I'm ready. Let's go party. Let's go live it up. Let's go partake of worldly, lustful pleasures and passion. Let's do this thing. And then over here, we've got Romans chapter 6. Should you continue to sin that grace would abound? Certainly not. You've died to sin. How could you live in it any longer? How could you practice it any longer? Remember, Rory, you were baptized with Christ into his death and into his resurrection as well. And if you died with him, certainly you'll live with him. And Rory, today's the day that you can live with him. Come on, you know, by the, just reckon it right now, Rory. Reckon it. Reckon it to be true. And I can line those two things up and say, okay, am I going to believe you know, my flesh and the, what it's telling me? Or am I going to believe the inspired word of God? The infallible, inerrant word of God? Man, I'm going to reckon the word of God right now. I'm going to impute the word of God right now into my life. And that might happen one time a day at 7 o'clock every day for you. Or it might happen every 15 seconds throughout the day for you. But day by day by day, as we reckon this old man dead, it's going to be less frequent, less frequent, less frequent. And then all of a sudden, it's going to be more frequent again. Just the enemy's going to test us. Do you really believe that? Are you reckoning it again? And then it's going to be less frequent, less frequent, less frequent. I heard one pastor use the example this week of when you're teaching your kids how to ride a bike. And you're running alongside with them, and you're running, and you're running, and you're running. And, and I'm trying to do this with Russell right now, and I'm not the best teacher, probably because I can't run that far. But, you know, I'm, I'm running with him, and he's like, don't let go, Dad, don't let go. I'm not letting go. I'm, like, I'm going to have to let go because I can't breathe, but I'm not letting go yet. And, you know, I'd start to let go, and he wobbles, wobbles, and, and you grab hold again as quick as you can. But, you know, pretty soon when you let go, you know, he, he fell a few times. And he still can't ride on two wheels because we keep falling. But, you know, he He fell. And we pick him up. Okay, don't let go, Dad. You don't let go. I won't let go. I promise I won't let go. Oh, please, Jesus, help me. Yeah. And, and we start running again. And I haven't been to the point yet where they actually ride off yet into the sunset. But that's actually us right now. You know, the Lord has just shown us you don't need the law anymore. You don't need the rules and the regulations and the training wheels there. You know, here I am. I have the spirit. I'm going to help you ride. And you're going to ride it first and, you know, immediately fall down. Oh, dang. Get up again. Oh, 10 more paces. We made it. Oh, fall down. Get up, get up, get up. But eventually, not by the end, no, don't get me wrong, by the end of your life, you won't be sinless. But as you walk on this journey of sanctification, there will be much less sin. There will be much less sin. And so the truth that we studied in depth last week is the reckoning, is the comprehending, is the believing and the knowing that I've been crucified with Christ and yet I live. And the life that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But now the second half of chapter 6 brings some application of this fact, the application of this reckoning, and it gives us practical helps. It really puts us in a defensive stance against sin. 
Romans chapter 6 is kind of that triple threat position in a sporting event, you know. Uh, It's just this no longer letting yourself be bullied by sin, being pushed over by sin, you know, but but rather standing up to sin and, and pushing it over, actually. And so here's this practical help to us. In verse 12, we start new ground today. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. So in dealing with this sin, a practical help now is by the Spirit, don't let sin reign. Okay? Do not let sin reign. Like Psalm 19.13 says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Lord, keep me back. Don't let these sins have dominion over me. In the same spirit of God, or the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, he's in you today so that you can not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now this word body can actually mean slave. And we're going to see today that we're a slave no matter what. Every one of us is a slave. Every person on earth is a slave. We're going to get it not to mean not to be a spoiler alert here, you know, but uh, we're slaves either to sin or we're slaves to righteousness. And so now it says, don't let sin reign in your slave, in, in us who are now slaves to righteousness, that you'd obey it in its lust. This submission to sin, uh, submission to lust. Perhaps your translation says uh, obeying its passions. You know, um, sometimes passion is thought of as a bad thing every time, but it, it can even be a good thing that we twist and make bad. You know, obeying these passions in life, an over-desire for good things. We can make an idol out of good things, and we can start to obey and be ruled over by these passions in life, by these lusts in life, by these hobbies or loves that we have. Even by our friends and our family members, they can rule over us. But don't let them rule over you, that you would sin by giving your heart to them, that you would prefer them over your preference for Jesus, righteousness, relationship with God. Verse 13, more practical help. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So the second help, the first help being don't let sin reign. Don't let it. Secondly, present yourself rightly. Here in verse 13, present yourself rightly. In the negative sense, we can present ourselves uh, as unrighteousness to sin. And this word present means to stand beside and exhibit our members as instruments of unrighteousness. Essentially saying, here I am to sin. Here I am to sin. But it says don't present your members as these instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Members are speaking of body parts being presented to sin. And what we know from Romans chapter 1 is, maybe let me phrase this as a question, you know, what were these members created for? 
What were these body parts created for? Anybody remember from Romans chapter 1? To worship God, to glorify God, uh, to exalt the creator, and to bring him much glory, to reflect his glory. Made in his image to reflect his glory. Each one of these members. Eyes, mouths, tongues, arms, hands, fingers, feet, toes, toenails, you know, it all. As uh, my we sing years taught me, eyes and ears and mouth and nose, head and shoulder, knees and toes, knees and toes, you know, all of these things were meant to glorify the Lord, to worship the Lord. And yet, in our de-godding of God and in our worshiping of idols, worshiping the created things rather than the creator, we've used our members to uh, sin against God and as um, unrighteous tools against God. Uh, the priests in the Old Testament can be an example to us of presenting our members to God as instruments of unrighteousness. In Exodus twenty nine twenty. We read, then you shall kill the ram and take some of its blood, put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron and on the tip of the right ear of his sons, on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot and sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. You know, I like that. Just that, you know, Lord, let your blood, you know, let what you've done be upon every member you know, afresh today, I consecrate my eyes to you. So in dealing with sin, practical help here is how we present our members. Because the, the positive side of things is that we would present, verse 13, ourselves as being alive from the dead and our members of instruments of righteousness to God. So Lord, just afresh today, I dedicate my eyes to you. I present my eyes to you. Let them not look upon wicked things, but Lord, let them look upon things that will glorify you. Today, afresh, I present my ears, I present, you know, my, my mouth, I present my arms and my legs and my feet. Let them be, you know, just like Aaron, you know, just that ear is just sanctified by the blood, you know, the toe, the big toe, sanctified by the blood. Lord, I present my toe, my feet, where I go as instruments of righteousness for you. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul pleads with us or beseeches us by the mercies of God that we would present or exhibit our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It's not too big of a thing for God to ask that you give it all to him. All he wants is all we have. In Jude chapter 1 verse 24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Just this ending of the chapter of Jude saying, Lord, present these people faultless. Lord, today present my members faultless. Lord, I need help. Be my high priest, I pray to you today. Let my eyes and my ears, my mouth, my nose, you know, let it all be instruments to you. Help me, Lord. But this word instruments, in the King James Version, if you're reading that today, it uses the word weapon. Don't present your members as 
weapons for war for uncleanness. And we see in this chapter that sin is personified as a slave master. That slave master that carries that big whip, you know, or carries that big weapon. That would cause us to yield and that would cause much damage done to the name, the glory of Christ in our lives. And Paul says, don't use these weapons for war against sin, but rather for God in righteousness. See, this weapon that was once used for sin can now be used as a weapon, an offensive tool uh, to further the kingdom and to spread the great name of Jesus. It's been said we either delight in our sin or we fight against sin. Our members can be weapons for war against sin or weapons for war towards sin. Don't let it rule and present your members not as instruments of sin to unrighteousness. One man said, when you realize your freedom in Christ, you can be around those people and things that used to enslave you and have freedom. We demonize things when really it's our heart and our abuse of something or someone. But you can look at it and say, you have no power over me anymore. No longer are these things weapons against us and weapons against the Lord, but our members can now be weapons for the Lord. And so the positive aspect of what we use these things to is in the second half of verse 13, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. Exhibit yourself from walk, by walking in his resurrection power. Verse 14. <clears throat> for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Here we have a, a promise in the midst of the practical that sin will not rule over you, will not have a throne over you, power over you, lordship over you. This is huge. Verse 14 is huge. If you wrestle with sin, you can take this into account right now. Man, I am not under the authority and power of sin, and I'm not under the law anymore, the law that just shows me my sin. And as I try to walk in the law, it just makes more sin abound. But I'm under grace. To be under the law, the perfection of God is to be under condemnation because not one of us can fulfill the law. But to be under grace is great freedom because Jesus has fulfilled the law for us. And now we can walk in newness of life. Verse uh, 18 of Galatians chapter 5 says that if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. If we're in Christ today, we're led by the Spirit. We walk in freedom. Verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. And so this Objection is being raised again, kind of a rhetorical question that's very similar to chapter 6, verse 1. And it's this question of, as chapter 6, verse 1 is a question of sinning in order to gain more grace, verse 15 here is a question of sinning because we have grace. So should we continue to sin because we have grace? And again, an emphatic, certainly not God 
forbid, perish the thoughts. Verse 16, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? Again, don't you know, and we read this a few times in this chapter, don't you know Anybody familiar with the gospel should know these truths that Paul says. You should know these things. You should know that you belong to the power that you choose to obey. If you choose to obey sinful passions and lusts, and the lusts of the flesh, the pride of life, then you are that slave to those things. But if you choose to obey Jesus and righteousness, then you are slaves of righteousness. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 19 talks about these guys that have become slaves of corruption. And at the end of the verse, it says, For by whom a person is overcome, by him also he's brought into bondage. What are you overcome with today? Sin and passion, lust of the earth? Is that what you're overcome? Is that what you live for? You know, is there something in this world that you cannot live without? That thing is your idol. That thing has overcome you. You are in bondage to that thing or that person or that place or that activity. You're in bondage to it. You are its slave. Or have you been walking in obedience to Christ? Have you been walking in this newness of life? You're a slave to righteousness. There's these two powers that are given to us right now in Romans chapter 6. The power of sin or the power of obedience. And he's addressing Christians here. Christians who are struggling with, you know, walking in this power of sin or rather walking in the power of obedience. You know, he doesn't buy into the tomfoolery of, oh, it's heretic. Or not heretic. It's hereditary. <laughs> Might be heretic, but... Uh, It's hereditary, or, you know, grandma didn't love me enough, or, you know, daddy did this, or whatever, and that's why I sin. You know, Paul doesn't buy into that as being the reason we continue in sin. He says, it's your choice. If you're in Christ today, you can choose to walk in obedience. Two ways to present yourselves as slaves, verse 16 tells us. And these are willing You know, this is willing slavery on our part. We are choosing to obey one or the other. Verse one, or uh, the first thing is a slave to sin leading to death. And you might say, well, it doesn't matter what I choose. It doesn't matter if I, you know, be a slave to sin. It's harmless. That's not what the scripture tells us. It, It tells us it matters for our wives, our children, our home, our career, our community, our church, our friends. And it brings about the death. Slaves of sin leading to death brings about the death of God's glory in your life. It brings about the death of your soul. As we'll read at the end of this study today in Revelation 21, that there's a second death that you'll die because of sin. It brings about the death of your marriage. It brings about the death of your family. It brings about the death of your career and your community. But the other power, being a slave to righteousness... It brings about innocence. It brings about glory. It brings about eternal life. And so if you're taking notes today, or if you can remember good enough, fill in this blank. 
I have been a slave of blank leading to death. Insert the blank. I've been a sin of blank leading to death. Or I've been a slave of blank leading to righteousness. We've been set free in Christ to make this choice. And by the power of the Spirit, we can choose to do right or to turn our back on the clear call of God and walk in the old man. When a believer sins, two things happen. First of all, either they will repent that this cloud of sin and you know that's marred their relationship with God could be taken away, or they harden their heart to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And they keep walking in sin and they keep walking in sin and they shut themselves out of biblical truth and out of fellowship. The scriptures talk about quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. Or if we regard sin in our heart, the heavens become brass. You know, in relationship to a husband and a wife, if a husband doesn't dwell with his wife with understanding, giving preference to her as to the weaker vessel, then we see that his prayers are hindered. When we walk in unrepentant sin, there's a cloud in our relationship with the Lord. And so if you hear his voice today convicting you of sin, get out of that sin today. Don't walk one more day in it, but get out of it. Be zealous against this sin and cut it off like a hand that would cause you to sin or gouge it out like an eye that causes you to sin, Jesus says. Take drastic measures to get rid of this sin. But we reveal which slave we are by what we do, not by what we say. You know, if your slave master told you to wear red elf shoes with bells on the end of them, you know, and I see you walking around town with red elf shoes and bells on the toe, then I'd say so-and-so is a slave of so-and-so. If you're walking in sin that the scriptures show us, it's sin. It's not a gray area. It's sin. <laughs> then, and, and I see this and I confront you on it. I can say, you know what? You, right now you're being a slave to this sin. Repent right now. Turn right now and be a slave to righteousness. F.F. Bruce said, if a man is not being sanctified or set apart from the world, being made holy, He has no reason to suppose that he is justified. If you're resting on, you know, that in eighth grade you were at a Sunday school class and you asked Jesus into your heart and yet there's been no change in your life, there's no fruit of righteousness in your life, you're just exactly the same person, there's been no sanctification in your life. Man, I would ask you today, like Hebrews tells us to, examine your heart to see if you're of the faith. Because your current walk is inconsistent with a biblical Christian walk. If there's been no love and joy in the spirit, no peace or patience or kindness or gentleness or self-control, to name a few, man, get away with the Lord. Ask him to examine your heart. Respond to him. Maybe just a fresh, like, Lord, I don't know if I've been walking in a lie or what, but today, Lord, today, I rest in the work that you've done. I repent of my sin. I cry out for the power of your Holy Spirit 
to walk in newness of life. Douglas Moo says, The freedom of the Christian is not freedom to do what one wants, but freedom to obey God willingly and joyfully and naturally. Then he quotes Calvin. He says, Obedience, Calvin says, is the mother of true knowledge of God. If your life is marked by continual, constant rebellion against God, Man, examine your heart today to see if you've been justified. Like the psalmist said, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. Put your little radar or your x-ray on my chest or on my heart, Lord. Show me. Am I walking in sin? Something here in verse 17 causes Paul to break out in doxology or to break out in praise. And he says, but God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, volume one, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, volume two. There's good news and Paul knows it and so he just starts praising the Lord. Even right now, you might be enslaved in a passion that is leading you to death and is leading you to lawlessness that creates more lawlessness and more lawlessness. But right now where you're at, You can obey from the heart that form of doctrine that you're delivered. Right now, the doctrine, the truth that's being preached to you by the Holy Spirit, you can obey it right now. You can obey it. Not by your own strength, not by, okay, I'm really going to do it, but by resting in what Jesus has done and crying out for his strength to work obedience out in you as they're called fruits of the Spirit. As John the Baptist cried out, the time has fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand right now, knocking at your door. Be part of this kingdom that's already here and is yet to come. Be part of this freedom from sin. Be part of this newness of life. By God's grace, he brought you here to hear the message that you could obey this form of truth that's being presented to you. But if you don't, the antithesis to this, if you don't, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9 says that in flaming fire, he'll take vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Newness of life is what's taught to us. And while freedom is being taught, what's taught to us in chapter 6 is a different kind of freedom you might imagine. It's actually a slavery to God now. It's a slavery to God that that is more free than any freedom this earth has ever known. The story is told of St. Augustine, who really is just Augustine, because we're all saints, right? You can throw a saint in front of your name if you're in Jesus today. But Augustine had this horrible sexual past. He was a sexual deviant before his conversion. The story is told after he was saved and growing in the Lord. He's walking down the street 
when one of his sexual mistresses passes by him and, and recognizes him. And she says, Augustine, it's I. Don't you remember me? Don't you remember the, the times that we used to share? And he turned around and he says, yes, dear, but it is no longer I. When sin knocks at our door and says, don't you remember what we used to do? The buzzes we used to feel, the rushes we used to have, the high, don't you remember? Let's go do it. Let's go back to it. Yes, I remember, but it's no longer I. I'm a new creation in Christ. The things I love have gone away and the things I love far more are here to stay since I've given myself to Christ. Verse 18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. The Christian life is about radical change, freedom from sin and slavery to righteousness. And this change comes from obeying the gospel. Evidence of this change is obedience in our life. As Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. As Jesus says, why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, but you don't do the things that I tell you to do. Don't lie to yourself. You can't call Jesus Lord and walk in continual disobedience against his word. Now we're slaves to the beauty of righteousness. It's like being released from an army discharged from our old uniform and our old commanding officer and going over to a new army, getting a new you know, uniform, having a new officer. We're walking in this new life. And yet there's times that we start looking back to the other army and we start to compromise and wear both uniforms at the same time. It's a funky place to be and it ought not be so. Walk in the newness of life. Verse 19, in this whole idea of slavery, Paul says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. Or as the Philip says, I use an everyday illustration because human nature grasps truth more readily that way. He's talking in layman's terms here. You were a slave to sin, now you're a slave to righteousness if you're in Christ. For just as you presented yourselves as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present yourselves as slaves of righteousness leading to holiness. We all are slaves of something. What are you going to be a slave to? Who was it that's saying, you know, you might serve the devil, you might serve the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody? Bob Dylan or something, I don't know who it was. All right, yeah. I haven't listened to 30s music in a while, but... Um, oh. Okay. Oh, that's what it was. <laughs> We just lost half our church right there. <laughs> We've been liberated from this sin. Our masters are new and different. We have a new life compared to our old life. And it's not a suggestion. It's a command. Walk in the newness of life. Offer your body as a slave to holiness. This is not extra credit or an extracurricular activity. This is the commandment of the Lord. You might say, I'm a professing Christian, but I'm living a life of impurity at the moment. Well, that was the last moment. Now you've heard the word of God. Repent of your sin and walk in this newness of life. 
One man said the individual who professes faith in Jesus Christ and lives a life that denies it is at best a walking contradiction and at worst totally unregenerate. But the good news is there's hope for both. If you're a backslidden Christian, you can come to the throne of grace today and receive forgiveness and mercy and you can be washed afresh today. And if you've never been saved, if you're unregenerate, if you're not born again, today you can be born again and walk in newness of life. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. In reading this this week, I thought, what a horrible concept to be slaves of sin and free from righteousness. And yet that's the way a lot of the church lives. Oh, I have to to go to church. Oh, I have to go to the prayer meeting. Oh, I have to read my Bible today. Oh, I have to obey. I just wish I could go sin. That's a heart that is borderline. I don't even know. You need to go and search it between you and the Lord. Because when we know the deep love of Jesus and his sacrifice for us, walking in obedience, walking in fellowship with each other, going to church, being in the word of God, it is a get-to thing. It is a don't you take away my fellowship time. Don't you take away my prayer life. It's something I get to do, something I want to do. I don't want to be free in regard to righteousness. I want to be a slave to righteousness. Verse 21, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. As you look in verse 21, you can break it down to three parts. That the volume one of our life was profitless. Volume one of our life was shameful. Volume one of our life was deathly. There was no fruit. We're ashamed of the things that we did, things that the Gentiles are even shamed talking about. We get red and we blush thinking about the things that we've done. And it ends in death. But, verse 22, now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and in the end, everlasting life. Philip says, but now that you are employed by God, you owe no duty to sin, and you reap the fruit of being made righteous, while at the end of the road, there is life forevermore. And so when we sin from here on out, it's because we give heed to the voice of temptation, and not heeding to the Lord. We now sin freely, (laughs) It's opposite now. Now we're free to sin. Not free to do what we want. We're, we're free to sin. Not slaves to sin. We don't have to sin anymore. We're not under the dominion of sin anymore. So if you do sin, you did it on your own free will. Now we're slaves to righteousness. We walk in righteousness. Verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ken, worship team, you can come on up. The stipend that's given to a slave of sin is death. But the gift, you notice the difference? There's a wage given to the slaves of sin, but there's a gift given to the slaves of God. Romans 4, 4, and 5. Have it up on this screen. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. We are now given a gift of righteousness, eternal life in Christ Jesus. 
Revelation 21, 7 and 8 says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What is the wage? What is the payment? What is the stipend of being a slave to unrighteousness and wickedness and sin? It's death. As we read here in Revelation 21, it's a second death. Second death. Closing with the Phillips translation for for verse 23. Sin pays its servants. The wage is death. But God gives to those who serve him. His free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I want to close today with reading Romans 6.1 one last time in the Phillips translation. Now what is our response to be? Shall we sin to our heart's content and see how far we can exploit the grace of God? What a ghastly thought. We who have died to sin, how could we live in sin a moment longer? As we come to the communion table during these last few songs, let's come, let's take the the cup and the bread and let's go back to our chairs and let's Consider what newness of life has been brought to us through the blood that's been shed and the body that's been broken. Let's ask the Lord to afresh today, search our hearts, every one of us, show us our sin, and let's confess our sin to him and let's repent of our sin. And maybe you would even get a brother or a sister and take them aside and just confess to them. As James tells us, when we confess our sin, there's healing that takes place. It's also a beautiful outward sign of repentance. But as we take communion, let's consider and reckon the work that Jesus has done for us. And let's just afresh today declare our members to be members and instruments of righteousness. If you're not a Christian or if you're walking in unrepentant sin today, just ask that you don't come take communion. First Corinthians tells us you'll drink judgment upon yourself, drinking in an unworthy manner. But before you come to the table today, you can respond to this form of doctrine that you've been taught. You can obey the gospel. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Some of you might be new here today and just you can come up with the others. And as you're ready, you can grab the communion elements, take them back to your seat. Just spend time in the presence of the Lord and letting him examine your heart. And when you're ready, you can take the communion on your own. Lord Jesus, we just thank you that we're found in you today through faith. And Lord, bring just such strong conviction to those that are apart from you. Convict their heart today of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. 
And Lord, bring about surrender in their hearts before they leave this place.